What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's sponsor. I think you may have heard of them. We've been talking about them a lot. Uh, the Cash App. They're helping us stack sats, particularly on Saturdays, but any day you want. Cash App has been the number one finance app in the App Store for the last two years. It's the first P2P payments app to allow you freaks to stack sats and buy Bitcoin. It's also got the Boost program. We're talking about the Boost program a lot. They added some new boosts this week, including DoorDash and Popeyes, I noticed. Two very, very quality uh, boosts. I use my Boost card every day. What you do, you download the Cash App. You sign up for the Boost program. You customize your Boost card with a little signature, with a little Bitcoin sign, a little Lightning sign, whatever it may be. They send you the card. You turn the Boost on. You go to the merchant. You spend it. You spend some money, and you get cash back. Um, so... It's an incredible program. We're big fans of the Cash App here. Go to your local app store and download the Cash App today and start stacking sats. Start using those boosts. Start saving money. Start developing the low time preference that we talk a lot about on this podcast. Hope you freaks enjoy this conversation that Matt and I had with John Carvalho from BitRefill. John is uh, somebody who I have immense amount of respect for and somebody I have uh, been following on Twitter for years and this was an extremely fun conversation. I think you guys are going to love it. And check out what BitRefill's been doing lately. Those guys are, are doing some incredible work. Cheers. Tales from the Crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. You're listening to a, a haggard Uncle Marty here. It's been a long week. It was a long night last night. We've got a, a great group discussion uh, here to to recap the week and uh, and dive into a little Bitcoin history with a very uh, fascinating person, someone I've been following for a while. Uh, very pumped to have him in the studio. I'd like to introduce you freaks to the Chief Communication Officer of BitRefill, John Carvalho. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Thanks for coming through, dude. We've also got Matt O'Dell here. Cheers, guys. Um yeah, so we got a lot to talk about. You uh, are somebody I've been following on Twitter for a while, like I said. Uh, somebody who's very principled in the space and is building cool things at BitRefill uh, before we get into all the shit that went down this week and uh, what you're doing at BitRefill as is part for the course here. How the hell did you find Bitcoin? Um, what sort of drew you to this rabbit hole? Um, I don't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure that it was an article about Silk Road. Um, it was late 2012 sometime. Uh, in the fall and I was like started reading about it and I was like wait people are safely buying drugs on the internet and I, I have to see what's going on here so I bought a little bitcoin and then I like started digging into the forums and digging into the IRC rooms and just like it just like sucked me in you know and like the whole community aspect of it the whole like thinking about all the different disciplines you have to understand with bitcoin like with game theory and development and cryptography and finance and it was just like an endless you know rabbit hole of learning you know and i just my i just find myself falling and falling for six years now so yeah and uh now you're up at refill you had exotica um which was a, a streaming website that allowed people to get paid in uh bitcoin specifically geared at uh cam girls and uh, now you're at bit refill. Um, so what do we what do we want to talk about first this week? Do we want to, let's talk about the history of Bitcoin or not the history of Bitcoin? John's history in Bitcoin. Um, how should we take this? 
Should we should we start with the famous Bitcoin Cash video? Yeah, let's start with that. So for you freaks that don't know, John has uh, one of the best uh, interviews ever recorded in the Bitcoin space, in my opinion. It's probably about a year ago now at this point. It was 2017. Two, the end of 2017. Year and a half. Yeah. Or, it was like October or so, I think. Yeah. So a while ago now, but you inter- right before the big pump, right before the big pump, yep. John interviewed uh, Roger Ver about uh, B cash, uh, Bitcoin cash, excuse me. Um, so <laughs> how wh- dare you? <laughs> <laughs> was this pre was this this was pre or post fork? Um, this is at, no, because the fork had happened. Mm-hmm. The fork, I believe, uh, Bitcoin cash forked in the beginning of August. And so it was pretty young um, at this point. But, like, obviously, Roger had gone, like, all in on it, and he was making it his baby, you know? Yeah. Um, thank you for that interview. We got a we got a great meme out of that, Roger giving the middle finger to the world. Yeah, I was happy to give that to community. It was, like, I remember beforehand, like, I prepared, and I prepared questions, and I prepared, I, like, researched his videos and all his, like, current party lines and how he respond to things. And I was, like, meditating in my room before. I was just, like, okay, I cannot fuck this up. Like, <laughs> like everybody is so fucking sick of Roger, like, uh, being in an interview and then people, and, and the interview is just always like, you've done so much for Bitcoin, Roger. Like, it's, you know, nice to have you. And then, like, have some, like, softball Bitcoin cash fork questions. And then I was like, and everybody was getting fed up with it. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to try to, like, do the actual Roger Ver interview people want. Um, I think in the end... It, we, but I did give them that, but I wasn't done. Like he ended it. Like I didn't even Abruptly. get to ask half my questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was live, right? Yeah, and yeah. It ended with him giving you the middle finger after you just kept saying Bcash over and over again, right? B-cash, sort of. B-cash, I, I mean, B-cash. honestly, somebody made a cool version of the vid- of a uh, uh, cut of the video where uh, they cut all the times I said Bitcoin Cash and all the times I said Bcash, and it's like I said like Bitcoin Cash like fourteen times. And I said Bcash three times. Oh, wow. And it was just like, I was actually trying, I wasn't trying to troll him. It just like, I, and I wasn't, I'm not like, I was not trolling when I said, I think it's a nice name. Like I thought Bcash was a better name and I was using it as a nickname. And there was kind of like a little bit of a trend on Twitter where some people were starting to like use it derogatively, but it wasn't quite there yet, you know? And, but it, he felt it was like, he just, I'm literally taking the Bitcoin out of his project. So like, that's how he <laughs> saw it, you know? <laughs> Were you uh, were you once like a, not a follower of Roger, but did you ever like see Roger in a positive light like early on in Bitcoin? Did no, you? Um, I, I I had actually been making fun of him for a long time in in you know smaller circles and when less people knew you know, had it, that I even existed. Um, no, I, I remember when he was doing. I remember it was like there were some people when I came into Bitcoin. It was like everybody said that these people did good things, but like I never saw them do good things myself, and I was like. Have these guys actually ever done good things? It was like Gavin and and Roger and I remember like Roger's just always doing stuff I thought was kind of stupid and then he did he bought when he vouched for Gox that was like the the first major one I remember it was just like Gox the funds are safe you know <laughs> got like a gun to his head I reading can, off a teleprompter I'm pretty sure he said like I could promise you that Mel Gox is solvent right now there was actually a meme with a gun to his head like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how much has changed since those days. Like uh, at BitDev, you were at BitDev's last night. Mm-hmm. That was a great meetup. Yeah, that was cool. Having Peter Todd, you, those uh, guys are all cool. Bob McElrath, like just hashing it out, pun intended. 
um, over pull requests and stuff like that. It was cool. Mm. But uh, it's crazy. Like last night at BitDev, like, like the Bitcoin Cash thing came up uh, as a subject. And I was like, we honestly don't have to wear it because we were talking about how we may saw fork Schnorrin and will it be as contentious as Segwit? And it seems like the market has decided in, in that whole saga. Is it behind us, do you think? I don't know. And that's why, like, if you remember one of the questions I asked, which I was surprised nobody wanted to really, like, elaborate on, I asked, what is the, like, proposed activation method? And they took me literally as in, like, the, that it hasn't been officially decided because it's not that stage yet. But what I, what I really meant was, like, what is the general, you know, atmosphere among the developers right now about the proper way to get a soft fork activated after all this, you know? Um, somebody else there was like saying, "Oh, I have like Segwit PTSD. Like, what's gonna happen?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do a little bit. Yeah. No. Yeah. And it's uh, I interviewed uh, uh Lawrence Nihon yesterday from Blockstream and asked him that question. He was he was willing to. I love that guy. That yeah. guy's awesome. <laughs> He's willing to put something out there. He was like six months to a year of minor signaling that they're ready, and then enough prep and acceptance from everybody seems to be acceptable. But it is weird. It's like, how do you put forward a, an activation plan. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad it's not my problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but whose problem is it? It's nobody's problem. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, that may be why nobody answered me because yeah. they're all hoping that somebody else would do it. <laughs> my, mining, minor signaling kind of makes sense and because that's what we always did in the past. And then if miners don't fall in line, then we could take it from there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what. Yeah, I set a flag. But if they day. do that one more time, it's like then at that point, why are we even bothering to include miners in the process? Right. And why don't we just like make everybody update the software and you know oh. that be that? Ah, oh. yeah. This gets into some hairy, uh, hairy stakeholder discussions here. Yeah, I think it'll be fine. I think that you know we're learning more and more that miners are just you know hired hitmen. We're just bribing them to give us some blocks, and they don't really have any power. That's actually I don't want to get I don't know if you guys want to get into too much with the reorg stuff I find it to be a chore but like with the reorg stuff everybody wanted to talk about you know oh this is dangerous this is possible you know this is this is you can actually do this with Bitcoin stop acting like you can't and you know what are we gonna do if when somebody does it and I'm just like no no like did you not learn anything <laughs> like <laughs> like you learned nothing from UASF you learned nothing from the fact that like the network like you don't even have to f go into the, the the perverse details of how you could actually accomplish this because the network just is not going to accept a network where they can't finalize transactions they're just going to be like fuck you go away in some way i don't care what the way is but we'd figure it out we'd just be like okay no we're not going to let bitcoin be something where you can undo transactions like yeah. fuck that no. and on top of that like the coordination effort necessary to like contact the miners like people Amir Taki wrote a piece in CoinDesk a couple of weeks ago, like saying that like Ethereum or Bitcoin's is centralized as Ethereum because it was possible to reorg, and that's like that's why I was. Uh, Pierre said last night at the meetup as well. She probably shouldn't be doxing him was at the meetup, but I'm sorry. Um, that like he wished the 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 headline was Binance tried to reorg it but failed, but it was they yeah. did it. They I, did and not I, I I kind of agree with that statement a little bit. I thought you know yeah that's probably true. Like it would have been better to just actually show everybody one more time to stop. It's like sometimes I think about with Bitcoin, if there's like a certain inevitability with everything and all of our like, like kicking and screaming and worrying is just like us, like just being dumb humans with their, with our heads cut off like chickens. Like <laughs> it's like, and Bitcoin's just over there. just going to do what it's going to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Um, 
No, there, again, like going into the coordination thing too. Like I, I, I do think mining has gotten more decentralized over time, and it would be pretty hard to coordinate with with all the pools. It's way more than you know, like late twenty seventeen or whatever. Massive improvements, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I'll say I have no way to measure. I have no way to know how centralized mining is. So I try to think more about whether it matters. I mean, like, look at Bitmain, right? Like Bitmain got absolutely clobbered. Right? I would say that they were the main centralizing force. But that was like also like a cycle. narrative. Like this is like every all of the information that we were getting about mining and about like the Bitmain IPO and all this stuff. It was like fed to us through like people with like some kind of reputation, sorta. BTC some case, King five five five. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and like they're like feeding us this stuff, and like why are we just believing it? I'm not trying to defend Bitmain, but it's like. I feel totally detached from understanding the mining environment, how centralized it is, how weak or strong Bitmain may be. Like, th there's all kinds of like supply power issues where like where who can get chip uh, time to get chips made and who can't. And it's like, look, I'd rather just figure out how do we make sure we think about Bitcoin in ways that we just know we don't have to worry about it. Like, it only has to be decentralized enough. We don't need to worry about like if. There might actually be a significant amount of centralization that Bitcoin can handle. What uh? So, what are the thresholds in your mind? What are what? What is sufficient decentralization? I with mining, like I'm, I'm really starting to wonder if it matters. Like, I, I obviously you don't want one because it's just too disruptive if they misbehave. But like, as long as there are some miners that are going to accept that bribe transaction to to do the reorg, that are going to accept the other one, as long as there are some miners that will except blacklisted transactions like it's it's a it's game theory you know you can't risk going against the network if somebody else unless you have total cooperation that's consensus and the consensus in mining is just more like hostile you know like if you try to flex your your supposed power in bitcoin bitcoin just is going to kick you off the network and if that happened to a lot of miners yeah we would have some kind of issues with like hashing and, and getting transactions and with a difficulty adjustment but like it would we would adjust and we would be fine and, and there would be miners happy to mine those bitcoins if some miners don't want them you but know? john miners are the only full nodes that matter man <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you guys think that uh miners should or will run lightning nodes that's a good question i think they should especially uh, pools especially um individual miners uh I don't know. That's a good question. I've I mean, had it works well for pool payouts. Yeah. I think that the way I see it is I think uh, if you have an efficiency to gain, you probably will gain it in Bitcoin, in the Bitcoin environment. And so, like, they already have a node. They're already touching a lot of Bitcoin. Um, well, that's that's the thing right now with mining. The pools run the nodes, right? So, the, or it, unless you're, like, an individual miner, like, at your house, but, like, most of mining is done via pools and right now with the stratum protocol like that dictates that the, the pool operator runs the node mm -hmm. that's actually something i've been talking about with matt corrala a lot of this is better hash proposal and yeah, yeah so if that comes to fruition the individual miners are gonna have to run nodes and that is actually like a, a hurdle we're going to get over because apparently not all miners are like as technically apt as some people would assume um, and not all of them would be able to run a full node. Yeah, but if we have that situation, then it makes that whole reorg situation even harder. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and like, uh, also like like pools, like people point at them as if they're centralization. But like, if a pool, I've said before many times in other podcasts, 
any attack on Bitcoin is a glass hammer. Like you can you can break somebody's face with a glass hammer. You're gonna break the hammer too, and you, you won't get to do it again. So as soon as you like flex any power you have of your centralization over the network, the network will see you doing it. Like because it won't be worth doing anything unless they it's something that they can see. Like the it's just the way it works out. Like you will undo a transaction, you will double spend, you will, you know, you, you will fuck up with somebody's money and they will complain and they will notice. And then the, the network will try to kick you out in some way or another. Did you remember when G hash, you remember G hash dot IO? Mm-hmm. The yeah, cloud yeah. miner and they were close to 51% at one point. I think they had 51% at one they point. Got they, did. they had spending. over, they had over 51%. Remember when they got caught double spending, they were double spending like gambling sites. I don't remember. No, yeah. I don't remember that. And then like immediately there was just, like a ton of backlash like people were pointing their yeah, mind i remember the response yeah. but it's like a pat it's like after it's like a it's more loose it's like a loose game theory type of situation yeah yeah well you, like bitcoin can can get a black eye right. but you're not gonna kill it you know yeah it could take punches pretty well i really love that glass hammer analogy um that's a good one that's the first time i heard that that's why i like to think that's why like i don't like to get into all the details about what like the reorg debate because i just think of it as like look look, if they try they're just going to waste that that one chance on trying to do something evil with it and you know in the end if you do something evil to bitcoin it's going to kick you out yeah so it seems like we're we're talking about noise that we probably shouldn't focus on what do you think we should be focusing on um uh, this is maybe more a little biased to my own interests, and I don't know if it's like what everybody should focus on, but uh, I, I really am fascinated and, and intrigued and excited about uh, what's actually possible with the Lightning Network for Bitcoin. Um, and I'm I think that people are taking for granted like how big it actually is. Like I I, don't, I can't hype it enough. <laughs> like and I know it sounds like super Bitcoin religion culty, but it's mm-hmm. not for that reason. It's like people are missing that there are actually some interactions that Lightning has added to the network, some utility, that it, it's not just about fast transactions and high-frequency transactions. Like, there's other things that you can do now. Um, and people are, like, taking it for granted, and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out how to get bid refill to position to take advantage of those things because I see them, and there are other people I talk to that see them, but there's not a lot of people doing them or planning to do them. Yeah, I saw your tweet yesterday. Uh what was it like something like uh i feel bad for you if you don't have a lightning strategy yeah uh, oh you don't have a lightning strategy yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's true like uh, that's how that's how that's how exactly how i feel that's why i made that tweet was this feeling i'm just thinking man like these people aren't i i feel like i have like asymm um you know asymmetric asymmetric information and uh, i'm just gonna like i want to share it and i share it with with people that can have a good conversation about it but like, I also want to hide it because I'm just like, wow, like this is going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to say to the people who thinks it, it's unworkable from like a, a network routing it's just perspective? Fun. Everybody's job that isn't a Bitcoiner is to campaign against Bitcoin. <laughs> There's even some Bitcoiners that don't think Lightning Network would it's be a horrible job campaigning against Bitcoin. I wouldn't want to have that job. Yeah. Not either would I. And that's what happens with like Coinbase and people like this is like they they end up at making Bitcoin their worst enemy, you know, like they, you, you can make Bitcoin your best friend or make it your worst enemy. But if you, you make that choice, like it, Bitcoin is your biggest problem all the time. Like, like Coinbase, Bitcoin is like just a big problem for them. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's their reason for existing, but they don't embrace it. You know, they just try to like, 
Well, not even that. Like, did put you it see, in a corner? Did you see the uh, interview that Brian Armstrong did with Chris Dixon like a few months ago? And he just completely missed the plot of what Bitcoin's about. He's like, I'm trying to build the world's best uh, payments network, and it's like that's it's yeah, like Venmo 2.0. Yeah, yeah. And they were talking about like uh, Gemini's doing this, uh, Coinbase is doing this, and they're being like, build the crypto economy, and you know, talking about we're gonna. This isn't about replacing finance 1.0. This is about replacing it. And I'm just like, uh, I don't really understand this this logic. Like, the industry on that side of the industry, I don't have a, a perfect name for it. We'll say like the VC blockchain side of Bitcoin uh, that they still touch Bitcoin and actually provide a lot of people access to Bitcoin. Like, I think what they get wrong is like they don't realize that Bitcoin is actually for breaking rules. And when you're like, when you're saying things like, uh, crypto needs rules. <clears throat> yeah. Like revolutions need regulation. It's like, <laughs> I get that maybe they were trying to target like, uh, sophisticated traders or something maybe, or investment, you know, like, I think it kind of worked. I think yeah. it was a good advertising campaign for them, even if it was out of touch, but it, it but us. it's totally out of touch because what, like what happens is, is Coinbase and Gemini, they're going to, they're not going to serve Bitcoin users. They're going to serve investment people and they're not going to like change banking. They're just going to compete with banking and try to move the money over there. Right. And this is why you see them doing all these custody things like wanting to have to hold all the Bitcoin is, is an anti Bitcoin action. You know what I mean? <laughs> And they really do. They want to hold all the Bitcoin. And, and this is why I say, like, I don't like Bitcoin and stuff because they're helping everybody want to hold all the Bitcoin. Do you, you know? think you think we get in a situation in America, at least, where they don't let you self-custody anymore? So stuff like Circle, I could see that. Like, Circle just doesn't let you withdraw. There's no withdrawal option. Really? Yeah. I got kicked off a while ago. I feel, so. like, <laughs> I feel like that's, like, the way a lot of it is going because uh, from, like, a regulator point of view, yeah. Obviously, they don't want us to have self-custody. I, the, you are seeing some things like this or where uh, they're giving people exposure to Bitcoin, but not the ability to have Bitcoin. Right. Um, there's this popular like credit card kind of app thing. I, I'm not sure what it's based out of, but maybe you guys have heard of Revolut. Yeah, um, I've heard of that. It's Europe, right? It's pretty popular like in Romania and stuff. Like, And people are like, like shill it to each other. Like, oh, you guys should get this. Check it out. It's cool. And what they like about it is that they can set their credit card to every time that they spend money, they can set a percentage of Bitcoin that they also buy at the same time. So like if I spend 30 bucks on dinner, I, will, I can set it to 1% and then I'm buying 30 cents of Bitcoin, you know? Um, and they love that they just can buy Bitcoin passively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that Bitcoin is not withdrawable. Like it's just in their account. Like, just an IOU. Yeah, yeah. They can sell it, but they can't withdraw it. It's pretty fucked. What, uh, so this is probably the best way in which to stifle Bitcoin, right? Is these on and off ramps. Right. You capture Bitcoin the way, you know, you, you capture Bitcoin, you capture Bitcoin users to not use Bitcoin. It's like, it's, I don't know if I'll go so far as to call an attack, but it's certainly not the point, you know, how do we fight against this? Um, we try to actually work more with things like lightning to start creating an actual circular economy where we, where we just delete the system, um, where people can stay in Bitcoin and they can do it easily um, there are some problems to be solved with volatility. There are some like make or uh, die kind of uh, solutiony things that I'm not so sure how I feel about. But in the end, like you have to have the whole infrastructure in place so everybody can just stay in Bitcoin for it to even be possible. And I and that's how I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think like how do we delete the system, not how do we compete with the system. So how are you guys doing that a bit refill? 
Um, you know, obviously the, the main way that at the moment is that we sell gift cards for crypto. Um, and so gift cards allow people to convert their crypto and into goods and services, um, without having an exchange account. You You don't even have to have a bank account. You know, you can just, if you can get your hands on Bitcoin, you can get your hands on goods and services. So you can, now that allows you to be paid in Bitcoin. Um, and, and I don't know if you could totally live on off of BitRefill, depends on where you are and when, what your expenses are, but you can get a lot. Um, you, you know, we have like a shit ton of products and you, you can pretty much live on crypto, you know, now we have to figure out the earn side. We have to figure out the B2B side. Um, but to get that, that full circle going, I think should be the goal for everybody. And there's no KYC, right? No, no. And what about like when you use the gift card at a merchant, do, can they tell it's a bit refill gift card? Like, does the merchant kind of know you're a Bitcoin user? The, the, I mean, so there's a whole ecosystem of gift card that it's way before that, you know, from way before Bitcoin. Right. And so there's, uh, that industry has grown and gotten deep and there are providers and there are like providers of that aggregate all the different gift cards. And so there's this whole stream of where gift cards come from in a legitimate sense, not like with Paxful where like they're right. peer to peer selling to each other. Um, but these are actually authorized gift card sales that right. are, they're meant to be distributed by resellers. And so that's what we're doing. And so, I I don't know of any, but I'm not involved in all the customer service of where they they sh- they would shut it down because it came from crypto. I meant more um, like maybe they could, you know, be tagging users as these guys hold Bitcoin. You know, if you if 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 they knew it was coming in through BitRefill, they would they wouldn't they, depending on who they were in the loop. Uh, like we have suppliers, and the suppliers certainly know which right. cards they sold to us and. Uh, Amazon certainly knows who they sold the Bitcoin, uh, who they sold their gift card to at the top of the chain. But I don't know how easy it is to know down the chain. Right. You know, there's resellers and middlemen. Yeah. And, you know, like it's not we are privacy is important to us. You know, we do want to stay not doing KYC. um, But there's also it's not always like the perfect solution for privacy either, because you have to like spend and buy something and have it shipped to you or you have to spend right. it in person so yeah, it's like there's a mailing address yeah then. so it's like it's not the best like money laundering tool if that's what people are thinking about doing with it you know well i was thinking is that it's the tangent i was going down is a lot of people think you know the gift card approach is like kind of hacky um but you know it's i think it's a solid stopgap. but even ahead of that i think it's actually could be more privacy preserving to Bitcoiners than if like Amazon like accepted Bitcoin directly, then they would absolutely know I was I was a Bitcoiner, and they might even have some like transaction history if I you know if I don't you know use CoinJoin or practice like any kind of privacy techniques, they could see all my past transactions. Yeah. But if I go through you guys, then they might not even know I'm a Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, you you say it's a little hacky, but. It's actually a perfect example of what I mean by deleting the system. Like, we don't have to get everybody to accept Bitcoin. We can just have a company like BitRefill that gets all of your access for you, and you come and spend your Bitcoin through us, and now everybody accepts Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, rather, why are we going to go out and convince all these stores to do it? The amount of volume actually for Bitcoin right now is not justifiable for people to like be adding risky payment methods that they have to like hold, hold their own custody and stuff, or or even worry about adding payment processes to do it because they're going to get like three percent more sales, maybe. You know, like it's not big enough for that. So we might as well delete 
the requirement to have to do that at all and just aggregate it. Are you worried about spending? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a good that's a good flip side to what I say about deleting the system. When the system when 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 those so let's uh, explain. So spending is the app that dropped this week from Gemini that allows you to spend Bitcoin at Whole Foods, Starbucks, wherever. Yeah, and, and in Gemini, like literally is looking at what we're doing like they literally are using like words that we use to describe what we do like you have the wink of eye out there you know saying quotes like living on crypto and the fact is is that like when you are not making bitcoin your best friend like bitreal is trying to do and bitcoin is actually your worst problem you end up having to do like this it's like a fake news event that they did they said okay we 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 made an app we partnered with flexa with the spendin app and but the whole thing is just all gemini and so there's like this kind of like uh you know uh sleight of hand going on <laughs> and and then you have to KYC to get into this loop you ha- and if you're KYC to get into this loop, that means you already have a bank account and you already have the ability to like buy things at the <laughs> <Right>. store, <laughs> you know, and, and you already have the ability to, con- to convert your Bitcoin into cash back and forth and connect to your account. So you're already all set. Like you're not unbanked. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You could just sell the Bitcoin yourself through Gemini and yeah, then uh, pay with cash. And, and then the app itself, it, it's just like a, a it's like a whole delusion they're trying to create to make some kind of utility for the Gemini dollar because you don't actually like you, you put dollars into Gemini to get Gemini dollars to spend Gemini dollars in spend an app to buy coffee. Instead of like Like, swiping your credit card. And there's no, the only crypto in there is like crypto against like, like being safe against hackers and stuff like traditional crypto. There's no, (laughs) there's no cryptocurrency going on here. You know what I mean? It's just like you have a balance and, and, uh, Gemini is settling that balance with the, with the, with the vendor for you. And they're just making that seamless for the user. I'm sure the app looks great. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure it's slick and everything and it's, it's impressive. But in the end, this is like crypto LARPing. Like they're not actually participating in crypto. No. And, stuff has already existed too like the fold app exists uh yeah, yeah there's us there's there's fold there's uh this uh, we have a few competitors that that do the same thing that yeah. we do it's like crypto living on crypto is not invented by the winklevoss twins like, come on and this like, is what like Vinny got famous off of this shit too right with his uh gift app back yeah in the day. i mean yeah and and that was what part of why i was interested in bit refill as well was because i used the shit out of gift at right. know, back then um they, they had like a three percent kickback or something they would give you and they're like hey man i'll i'll swell I'll, I'll take some profits on bitcoin through this yeah it know? was super super useful back then no it's like crazy that we had to relearn these lessons like fucking uh coinbase had the swipe card back in the day that, like people could use to spend anywhere spend mm-hmm. their bitcoin anywhere like people didn't use it they shut it down after a year yeah. or something like that it's because they don't understand bitcoin they really don't understand that like i i, I don't think that the winklevoss twins were like guys this is like we all know this is like a bad idea and doesn't actually mean anything it's just like a fake pr thing i don't actually think they realized that you know i'm not saying they did it on purpose that they made fake news on purpose it's just that they don't even understand that they did that <laughs> like <laughs> Right, I think it's going back to like the comment on uh, Brian Armstrong saying he's trying to build like the biggest payment system. Like there are very big entrenched companies, important companies that hold a lot of Bitcoin that don't understand Bitcoin. Like they're like kind of end up like making the next PayPal without without, without like, while deluding themselves that they're actually doing something novel. Like right, 
A lot of virtue signaling. Also, the name Spendin fucking sucks. I hate that. Yeah, I hate horrible, the switching. Man. Let's stop switching letters, freaks. We're done. I would give them this, like the the switching let, like we had in the dot com era. We had like the spelling things wrong, and then we had the ily like suffix, <laughs> and so like like companies are always trying to find ways to make domain names more valuable, um, <laughs> and to be able to have like so now you can actually. I don't think they did get it, but. They they would it would be much easier to obtain spendin.com than spend.com. It's true. <laughs> it's true. But it's, true. it's all a clout chase to to ride on the back of Hoddle, which was just a natural drunk typo and every, everything yeah. else is so fucking forced. I mean, they could have just called it like Gemini Wallet. <laughs> right. You know? Like if you want to market sell your Bitcoin at the Whole Foods cash register, like you can use Gemini Wallet to do it. And now I'm thinking about I'm not sure if any of us has actually pronounced it right once. I keep saying spendin, but it's actually spedin. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Spedin. It's a horrible name. It's yeah. a terrible name. Um, no, but again, like how do we need to get people in these offices and convince them to change their minds and change their sort of fr- mental framework of how this stuff works? Because again, like this way we were talking to Sergi last night, like we, me, Matt and Sergi had like a long ass conversation about like the fight that we're in for like freedom and stuff like that. And he's, Fundam- these very important companies fundamentally don't understand the fight. It's a fight, right? Yeah. Well, as a Bitcoiner, I think that I could see why you would feel inclined to like get in there, either to, like to do more damage from the inside or fix it. Um, but from my standpoint, being at BitRefill and being like on the business side, I like I kind of like it. Like I kind of like seeing them fuck everything up because it gives me time to be able to you know build b- b- the proper way to do it at least through the the lens of bit refill and other people time to cover the other ends you know and i would rather see bitcoin just sneak up and just make all of them irrelevant than uh actually have them start getting it and start leveraging in more like tricky ways and making it hard even harder you know yeah yeah i mean i think they'll just keep losing money and they'll either learn their lesson or go out of business right and like well they're not losing money care. yet right they, they're making a lot of money as but at some point yeah it could change like if you treat all your they treat all of their customers not like bitcoin users they treat all of their customers like the, for the values of their savings account it's like we want you to we want all your money here we want all your bitcoin here we want you to trade like i was thinking about this morning it's actually kind of unethical to introduce a bitcoiner in an environment that has an order book like yeah, we were talking about this the other day and it's a horrible ux why do you say that because bitcoin isn't for tr- like trading has nothing to do with bitcoin like it, it is what a lot of people end up doing with it but like if you're buying if you're buying bitcoin like maybe you're buying it because your friends are trading shit coins and you're com- coming right in to trade but like if you're buying bitcoin because you need it or because you want to have it as an investment store of value like you're not really thinking that way. You're just thinking, I want some. And then immediately you're presented with, well, now you should gamble it. You know, like, <laughs> and, and now there's a whole environment in Bitcoin of where everybody thinks they're good at trading and is going to be good at trading someday. And it's like, you're just going to like, you're going to fleece your customers and they're going to be unhappy and they're going to have like this negative associate, this negative experience when all they wanted was some Bitcoin. Freak, <laughs> freaks. I know there's a lot of you out there listening who think you're going to be good traders. None of you are. None of you are. I mean, I know some good traders, but like they do it as a career. Yeah, like they're serious if about you, it. If you, yeah, if you if you don't do trading as a career, if you don't know what you're doing, do not get into it. You're gonna get wiped out. This is this is one thing that like 
I hate Coinbase as much as the next guy, but this is one thing that Coinbase I think did really well is that they separated their uh, like their trading platform and like the brokerage service. So like if you're just a, I mean obviously if you're a new user going on to Coinbase, like you're fucked. Like yeah, at this point. I, I but I'm just say, saying I in the beginning. Seen it lately, I haven't seen what they do lately, but I'm gonna guess they pretty early in the process let people know that there's GDAX. And I'm going to guess that they pretty early in the process also show people all the other thing coins you can buy. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, they, they want you to buy the bundle. Yeah, that's example. fucked up. Like, I agree. But I'm saying like, like Gemini, Kraken, they don't even have a, you have to go into an order book to, yeah, yeah. to, to buy the Bitcoin. You can't, you have to actually set a market, you know, market mm-hmm. buy order and do that. And I never thought about that this morning, how it was actually like, if, you, if, you're, if your business is just getting people to buy Bitcoin and, and even hold it for them custodially, the the concept of a uh, order book is not necessary. Like I was thinking about like Cash App, for example. Like Cash App doesn't have an order book. It's like very basic. And I'm thinking, oh man, I hope they never add one. Like I just would like to have one thing just be the thing where people can just buy Bitcoin and have it. Cash App, if you're listening, don't fuck this up. It's super, <laughs> yeah, Cash App is super simple. That's yeah. one of the reasons we love it. Have you heard of Get Bitter? No. We had uh, the founder on the pod uh, last week couple weeks ago we posted it this week his service is it's europe you register an address with him a bitcoin address um and then every time you send him a bank transfer he just automatically converts it to bitcoin and sends it to your address it's Mm non-custodial no order book he's working on getting xpub keys too so you're not yeah so it's not the same address every time yeah that seems like the great model like the 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 model to avoid the capture of the Coinbase's and Gemini of the world. Just don't even let it sit on the exchange. And, like, and it also, and, stuff. and also, yeah, that, but it also forces like users to learn how to use a wallet first, right? Yeah. And to get an address to send. So earlier when I mentioned that there are cool things that people aren't thinking about lightning, this, this is like taps into one of them, which is that you can leverage reputation for, and, and use trust now for a moment because, because lightning is instant. The, the trust, profile actually changes like if you're willing to if you know you're going to buy something from me but you know that immediately you you will know whether i scammed you or not you're in but i have a reputation and i'm a business you're like okay this like why would we ever scam anybody because then we'll never be able to do it anymore (laughs) you know so that there's this like different game theoretical trust here where you're like you actually can trust us and so like that situation like buying bitcoin uh, or selling Bitcoin like at in person sucks because you have to sit there and like be like confirm oh, wait for confirmations and you know and you're like is this is this a shady deal like do I want to be involved or like that situation we were talking about where he like auto buys for you right like, you wouldn't there would be no way it would just be instant you right. know like you would instantly have your Bitcoin as soon as the the money got into his hands like so what does the uh, the UX flow look like for this onboarding people directly on Lightning. I think uh, the first you probably need to get exchanges using Lightning, um, since we know BitRefill is not going to sell Bitcoin, so we're so not going to solve that problem. Um, but we we are going to be part of the solution, um, which is like doing things like uh, we have the, our Turbo channels. I don't know if you guys know about this, but uh, we sell channels, and so that lets people be able to have liquidity on and be able to get inbound. Yeah, payments. this is Thor, right? Yeah, Thor. We we, we use this service for our, our website for our BTC Pay server. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so we're gonna we're gonna be setting up making that easier to use, like like in an API environment, for example. 
Um, I think we've, we're also looking at there are some trustless ways we could do the channel selling um, on chain. Uh, and the onboarding can be uh, the exchange you withdraw to lightning or it can be when you buy your Bitcoin It's already in the lightning wallet that a channel is somehow either automatically provided or the fee you pay is worked into the UX process So you like with turbo it's instant. So it's like the there's none of this weirdness of okay I am gonna explain to you what channels are and how you have to like you have this side of balance and that side of balance and now we have to I'm gonna make you install a lightning wallet, but it's not a Bitcoin wallet. It's like this tech coming through lightning and through products from people like BitRefill that's just going to like mask all of that and it's just going to be like you're going to pay a bitcoin out you're just going to pay and you're just going to receive and then you're not going to even care whether it's lightning or on chain and and if, if as long as you're willing to pay the fees to have access to the people to make that convenience for you how far away are, are we from this do you think you think lightning's uh, mature enough at this point? What 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 needs to happen? I think things are going to escalate in the next you know uh, six months in the next year. I think things are going to escalate a lot. Um, I don't know if they'll escalate in tandem with users. Like if we'll get a pump and we'll get a lot of new people at the same time, it would be nice for them to kind of uh, harmonize. But I do think that the 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 development landscape, the product landscape, the people doing like serious investment in lightning uh, projects is going to escalate for sure. I can already see it. Yeah. Do you think uh, what other layer two solutions are you looking at, or do you think do you think lightning is a panacea? Do you think we need other other uh, layer two solutions? Um, I think it's certainly more than enough for now. Um. Uh, this liquid, the sidechain thing is like always kind of been like the redheaded stepchild of cool Bitcoin projects. <laughs> um, it's like <laughs> the, the hope that never happened, um, and and now it seems to kind of be happening. But I don't know if it's cause, if it's actually happening or if it's just Blockstream doing a better job promoting it. Um, it's like the, it's kind of like the Ripple model on top of Bitcoin, right? It's like a federated 16 servers, 20 servers. Yeah, but like the the server model makes it sound a lot worse than it actually is when you remember that it is a centrally issued asset anyway. Right. Um, and so it's, uh, but it is a little bit like janky, you know, like to have hardware involved in the process, to have to like just make disclaimers about decentralization aspects of what you're doing. Um, and then with the, with the, they're, they're demonstrating product with liquid, um, it's cool, but they're promoting it for a long time as a way to like facilitate arbitrage. And I've gotten to a lot of debates with people about this, and I might be wrong, but I actually don't think that facilitating arbitrage is a thing. Like it's an oxymoron. Like arbitrage is overcoming obstacle, and if you help people overcome obstacle, you are actually removing you're removing arbitrage. that arbitrage yeah. opportunity. And so it'll end up like the actual people using liquid for. Uh, arbitrage is going to be like the per the fastest person with the most latent lowest latency with the biggest bank account, and it's just that's the only person that's going to get the ARB of any connected. And there's also a negative kind of weird interaction where uh, you end up creating a unified order book when you do this. Like if you have both sides, like if you have Tether on Liquid and you have Bitcoin on Liquid, and you can complete both sides of the trade. There's no more ARB anymore. Like that means, and there's also no more difference between the order books. So it's like kind of like not in the exchange's best interest to participate. That's good for us, right? Would you say that's good for the average Bitcoiner? No, 
You don't I, think it'd be I, like better price discovery? No, no, I don't think so. I think that the the there's gonna always gonna be like a regional slash regulational. That's not a word, but <laughs> slash premium regulatory uh, regulatory the, premium. Yeah, like there's always gonna be uh, um, an inf- inf- infungibility aspect to Bitcoin based on like its presence in the world. You know where where you're getting it, who's getting it, who you're getting it from. I mean, people talk about Bitcoin being fungible, but I've never heard of people paying the same price for Bitcoin. You know, like it's fungible on the on the the protocol level. But as far as like actually being able to not tell them apart, like it's a waste. It's not happening, you know. So you're saying it's not fungible, like at the trading level, like just on the the order books? Or I actually don't believe Bitcoin is fungible at all. Why not? Um, <clears throat> so uh, the UTXO set is literally designed to track the uniqueness of every, uh, you know. UTXO there it's yeah. like saying which who has permission on the it literally tracks what makes them different it's what it's for so just on like that level they're like not behaving fungibly they're they're separated and they're identifiable in separate ways just to the network um and because the way a UTXO is kind of like it's kind of like a per, coin purse there there's more or less satoshis in each one and the ones that have the most satoshis in them are able to get different pricing in fees um and so they actually spend less so they're not even fungible in when you use them because the ones that are that are in small like if you have a small amount of satoshis and you have to do a lot of utxos you pay the the, the fee amount of what you pay is a higher percentage and if but if you have a bunch of satoshis in one tuxo the fee you pay as a percentage per satoshi comes down so the lightning flips that on the head Right, because lightning the the fee is based on the actual amount you're sending, not the byte size. Uh, yeah, but I think that you're gonna see some things like this in lightning too. I think you're gonna maybe see, um, some uh, non fungible token stuff. I think people are gonna get experiment with putting people are gonna try to put everything on lightning, and so you're gonna see some aspect of that there too. But in general, yes, let the way lightning works is that it has to be fungible. Um, they all have to be the same because we're passing them through each other. You know, fungibility is a big, uh, it's a big marketing word for Bitcoin. Is, uh, has Bitcoin failed if it's not fungible? Um, not to me. Um, and it's not big to me. Um, I actually like the idea of, of keeping Bitcoin, uh, human readable. Um, and I would rather see privacy, I think is what people's real goal and what they actually want. They, I don't think any actually, anybody actually gives a fuck about fungibility. Um, I think what they want is privacy and they want, they want to be able to have not people not know what they're doing with their coin and be safe. Um, uh, fungibility and privacy are, you know, very tightly related, um, in most theoretical conversations, but in practice it's nonsense. Like fungibility ties more to utility, I would argue. Right. Um, because if if you have like a tainted UTXO, it's, it's just like one of those words that I end up. The more I debate people about it, the more I realize it's, it's such a useless fucking word. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing is, like, the Binance hacker, or whether it's an inside job or whatever, whoever has the Binance stolen coins, the seven thousand Bitcoin, seven thousand yeah. uh, forty nine Bitcoin. Yeah, like that person's gonna be able to spend those Bitcoin. They just have to be creative about it. I right? mean, look, we have a lot of advancements. We have Samurai doing all kinds of cool shit with their wallet for mixing and Whirlpool and you know, all, the, all these things. And then we have the CoinJoin uh, progress with Wasabi Wallet making it easy. And, you're, and, and 
there are things now that I think that people are going to figure out to do with lightning that make it easy to get some privacy. And so I think privacy is like you, your behavior dictates your privacy. Like if you're doing really bad shit or you're really rich or, you know, there you have real privacy concerns, um, then you're going to be way more motivated to figure out what you need to do to stay private. And, and I think somewhere in the Bitcoin ecosystem, you're going to get what you need. But I don't think it needs to be like, at the base layer on chain it's not important what is important like what does it need to be it needs to be money you can break rules with and it needs to be private um ultimately uh but it doesn't need to be fungible it doesn't need to be you know where we can't tell them apart but there's things that are happening like that too like um with schnorr signatures and stuff uh I think that's what yeah we're we're gonna we're gonna get more and more tech that's gonna make it hard to distinguish what a Bitcoin transaction is doing, you know, whether you know it's opening a channel or not. Especially when stuff. you're jumping in and out of Lightning and going through channels and whatnot. Yeah, like I was wondering before Lightning was actually being used, I was I was trying to like theory craft about it. I'm thinking, oh, like this is gonna like add a lot of privacy. I wonder if exchanges will start like uh, blacklisting coins that have touched channels, you know, and but it ends up just being like Bitcoin's going to have so many little things like that. It's just going to be so impractical to start. Like they're just going to be like banning everybody, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and there'll be someone who takes them. Yeah. Like the that, businesses that don't take them will just. Yeah, exactly. Themselves. Yeah. No, that's, that's the one thing we've uh, debated or just thought experimented on this podcast before. Like what is the threshold of like coin joined coins? At, like does it get to a point where exchanges, like if they do start blocking them and everybody just starts coin joining, like uh, in spite of the exchanges, like is there a threshold where they have to put their hands up and say, all right, there's nothing we can do about this. Yeah. I mean, so far I don't know of exchanges uh, closing accounts or taking any kind of special action against coin. Not, coins. Yeah, there hasn't not, been any, not yet, but if it does happen um, in the future, but I do know they notice, I do, um, you know, uh, yeah, you can tell in the block explorers, like a block stream, it says there's a good chance this, coin was a uh, coin join like you can tell i think it comes down to what we were talking about earlier that really the only way they can force any of this shit is if they just ban self-custody altogether like you yeah. it basically comes down to like if you're gonna if you're gonna block a transaction that has a lightning history or a coin join history like eight hops away then like you basically just banning self-custody altogether i have a feeling that like bitcoin will find a way to fuck that up too for them like because if you start segregating a market too much from the ultimate international market, you'll start getting like uh, different pricing and they'll end up being in a closed market where there'd be like, you know, uh, white Bitcoins and black Bitcoins and, you know, uh, blacklisted ones are going to have a different price and, uh, and, and the price will probably end up being like higher. And then people won't want the whitelisted ones because the blacklisted ones are just uh, like people need those more and they want to be in that market, you know. Yeah, no, this is a. Uh, no, this has been debated in the past. Like I talked to Tor Demeester about this last year in Dallas. He he doesn't he believes like all bitcoins are fungible. It doesn't matter just because anybody would accept it. Like, so, so this is an interesting well, one. Like, like I've I've then this is the debate is like will there be, like you just described two markets for UTXs like. Well, we've received transactions. Like if someone sends me Bitcoin, I'm not like looking to see. I'm not checking to see. Um, yeah, we, what yeah, the history is. We certainly aren't here at TFTC. Like. I mean, either way, I just take it and I throw it right into Wasabi mm -hmm. and then I coin join it. Well, this makes me think, yesterday I was at um, the consensus conference and uh, I was walking in the booth area and I saw uh, uh, Chainalysis. 
And I'm like, okay, what could I think? I walked by them one time and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to talk to them. It's just going to be stupid. And then I saw <laughs> them again and I'm like, what could I say to these guys that would actually be kind of interesting? And then I had an idea. I was like, oh yeah, that's actually might be a good idea. Let me go up to them and start a conversation. And I was like, you know what you guys should do? You guys should make a service for consumers, for, for users to be able to see what information you have about their Bitcoin. Like, so they can see like wh- where you think the origination is of, the, of any transaction. And so that, so that way they can arm themselves and protect themselves so they don't have to lose accounts if they get a dirty Bitcoin. Like I want, I'm, like, I want to keep my exchange account and I, I, I like it. It has utility. Um, it's a place that I can sell or buy Bitcoin. I want to keep it. And if I, but I also want to be able to get bi- paid in Bitcoin. I want to be able to, you know, play with Bitcoin at a meetup and maybe buy some from someone if they need 50 bucks, you know, like, and I don't want my account closed because I touched a Bitcoin that you think I shouldn't have touched. And so give me a service to do this. And we got into this whole long conversation and they were like, um, then I started debating with them and they were like, we're 99% confident that of, of any, uh, cluster that we uh, that we recognize where now you have 99 percent confidence enough confidence to hold up in court and i was like okay let's talk about that (laughs) 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 like if you can identify a cluster and then it has like one hop you just lost all confidence you have no idea you know until you have external taint about what the person where, where they where that coin ended up and who spent it and where it originated unless you can complete the path and you can find out it's the same person it's like you don't have any confidence, okay? And you guys have a great responsibility because exchanges are using your information to oppress people. And they, they will close accounts of people. They will deny people access. They will like, you know, they're, they're not giving them access to banking, to money. Like they're, they're cutting them out because of your information. And so you have to make sure you're presenting this information. That, John, you're being aggressive with us. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What were they in suits? Like, what, what were they? Were yeah, they, they were in suits. Did they look three, like agents from, from the Matrix? No, well, no. <laughs> uh, I feel like their biggest issue with that idea probably is that everyone would realize that they just, really can't tell. Yeah, they have. They're not as sophisticated as people think they are. But but the but they're gonna plan to use it, and and it's. I think it's actually it's almost worse in a way. It's not about like being provable in court. It's that like Coinbase can oppress people without. A court or or legal like that due process, yeah. Yeah. Like they can just be like, "All right, you're out." They're recreating the shit we're trying to get away from. I guess we don't have a right to a Coinbase account, but it does. It starts feeling pretty fucked up when you're talking about this is like supposed to be freedom money, and you won't let me have it. Right. Well, I mean, it's like right. It's a temporary issue, though. Yeah, you can get it somewhere else, but that that hopefully that's what ultimately makes Coinbase have to behave and 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 chain analysis irrelevant is that yeah and we won't even need on ramps when people start getting paid in bitcoin yeah right. that th- that's a good segue into like how far away are we from a closed loop system do you think pretty far yeah um i think we have to get closer to where we either have to have some really cool tech that allows people to not have volatility um although i'm not sure that matters anymore either i have a new theory where i'm thinking uh that there's no poverty on bitcoin and what i mean by that is that you can't you can't have bitcoin if you don't like need it if it isn't better alternative than your it's like a last resort and, and as far as for poorer people and then if it's not for poorer people it's like you can't have bitcoin unless you can afford to save money because it's volatile right like you have to be able to risk money and in, in, into the future to even have bitcoin so 
I'm not sure if that aspect plays out, you know? Yeah. And, like, the volatility reduces over time. And I, I think, like, the people are very obsessed with the idea of, like, a stable coin uh, that mm. doesn't go up or down. Um, but I think, really, people just don't want it to go down, right? Like, if it if it just nets up all the time. That's true. And that's, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good, good nod stable. It's good for now that it goes up. Like, when you, you to answer your original question, which is when do I think it will happen? Like, it will happen when we reach saturation, you know, when when most of the people that want Bitcoin have Bitcoin. Um, but we act, that has to actually happen, like, when Bitcoin has won. It can't happen before then because then it will just be like Bitcoin is another option. And, right. you know, it has to be like when it's in its ultimate form. And then it have, we have to have some kind of stability. And then people will just be happy that it doesn't go down that much. And hopefully it'll be more like regular currency where it's like, oh, it moved, you know, 0.1% today. And, and that's volatility, you know. <laughs> no, that's... Um, but I, I have a feeling I'll probably be, de- be dead before that happens. Really? Yeah. yeah. I think about that a lot. I think about, like, how what, what to care about in Bitcoin because what I think is actually likely to happen within my lifespan. Um, and it's every I think a lot of people don't think this way. It's like... There are a lot of the cool, like theoretical things that seem very inevitable that you can logic out for Bitcoin, but they always like leave out the when part. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it's inevitable. It'll happen. <laughs> it, and everybody's like yelling on Twitter. This is the way it is, you know, <laughs> like, but like, what if altcoins don't become pointless for like another 30 years? Like it could happen. It, it could happen. <laughs> no, you're really driving Home to the point that we've been driving home for like the last month on this podcast. This is very mission driven. So you're talking, you're building on something that you don't even think you'll get the full benefits from in your lifetime. So why, why do you do this? Um, I think I, I already do get the benefits from it, and I and I and I want and I definitely want everybody to get get to understand what this tool is for, and that it's there for them and they can use it. Um, and I want this tool to have the most utility as possible. Like that's, it's going It's already happening in our lifetime. I just more mean about when, when people are being like philosophical or theoretical about Bitcoin and fundamental concepts and why, like this is, it's like next level maximalism. I think it's like, you can be the maximalist that hates all the shit coins and yells at everybody for being wrong. Or you can try to understand why in the current market that they do exist, what they represent and why Bitcoin isn't providing that to them. And when, it will, you know, and if that, if you start thinking about that way, you're like, okay, the when could literally be like way far into the future. So maybe I should just like, like fuck off a little bit and, and give everybody a break and, and start explaining why things are where they are so that future will come faster. So they understand, you know? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's been a lot of what we've been doing in this bear market is re architecting narratives, bunk narratives from the first decade that have, I would argue, set us back a bit, mm-hmm. uh, instant zero comp transactions buy coffee with bitcoin we're still do you notice we're seeing that today it's on like people are fees went up a, a bit and the price went up so the fees in u.s dollars you know obviously yeah. scale with the price um and there's a bunch of uh you know fifa on the on the twitter today is there i thought i thought you know we had kind of gotten past it also last night i got into a whole i got into a whole bitcoin cash bitcoin debate last night I do. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> say his name, but you know, he was, he's an OG, and I, uh, I just thought we were past it. Yeah, it's. I think it's the the headless chicken syndrome. Like we we like people, Bitcoiners want to be like involved. They want to have a part. They want to play a role. They want to help, and I think a lot of them think that just uh, being 
emphatic and and yelling and correcting people is helping and and it is kind of and i'm i'm definitely guilty of that too Um, so are we yeah (laughs) but there is like a a, there's like a level where it's just like too knee-jerk and 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 not actually helpful and i I want people to get away from that like there's some maximalists i want them to like reach their next form and i've been like privately like poking at some of them and being like look man like you don't get it like it's not just about being right. Like <laughs> it's about actually making this happen. <laughs> no, it's uh, and making it happen is such a, a weird coordination effort, right? It's decentralized. It's just individuals like yourself, Matt and I, like picking up mics, trying to help people, and there's no buddy to like centrally say, "Hey, market it this way, market it that way." So it's just bouncing ideas off each other, trying to find the best way, and uh, it's like again like the the whole bitcoin quote-unquote community like what do you think about like the community aspect is bitcoin a community or is it just a bunch of disparate no it's definitely a community it's like the biggest thing about bitcoin in my opinion is that it's a community Mm -hmm. i mean if you think about like meeting everybody this week that you hadn't met before and like just like all the hugs and all of the like everybody just feeling like they were part of something like maybe not so much like at consensus like in the hall but like at when people are actually being social with each other it's like it's total fucking community man and on twitter like crypto twitter like you can't deny that that's not community like you can't say it's not community like it's that literally is like we're just forming a fucking tribe and and we just have to make sure we understand who the enemy is and it's not each other our tribe's the best tribe yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna trigger beauty on here there is no community (laughs) bitcoin is math not as um no that was the i mean the great um, we're meeting in person for the first time and uh that's the, the great thing about shit shit coin week here in new york city is that everybody comes in i don't go to the conferences i get to record with a bunch of people meet a bunch of people and it's just like yeah like you said like the vibe is incredible like when we went to Riga last year like on the flight back i wrote a newsletter about just like the revolution there's like a revolutionary feel in the air like people drinking yeah. talking about attack vectors of bitcoin how we're going to protect ourselves against the state it's uh it's fun I would say that I feel like, I mean, I didn't go to consensus intentionally, but I would say that I feel like this year was the least shitcoiny shitcoin week. <laughs> it's like more Bitcoin focused than ever before. Uh, they closed the event with Adam back, right? That's what I heard. I, I wasn't in the room when they did it, but I think he was the last, the, the key, last keynote, whatever they call it, you know? And so just to have Bitcoin be the last thing there and have Adam back be on stage at consensus, like compared to the last time I was at consensus in like 2016, like way more progress like 2016 i was trying to help bitcoin core and uh they bitcoin wasn't even going to be represented at all at all there wasn't like gavin was going to be the only bitcoiner at consensus and, and then we were like all right we have to bitcoiner. get yeah yeah bitcoiner quote <laughs> air quotes <laughs> satoshi's disciple right satoshi handed him over bitcoin the keys to bitcoin and so then we like, we worked together to try to get like more in there, and so that we got a fireside chat set up. We got Eric Lombroso on stage, and yeah, last year they had uh, Elizabeth Stark and Jack, which I thought was a yeah. big one. Yeah, they're getting better. I could do without the uh, the Justin Tron posters. Uh, that was throughout. like intense, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that shit. And how about him going? How about him going on stage and just admitting that they plagiarized the white paper yesterday? <laughs> it was a translation error. <laughs> <laughs> I meant more like all the side events and stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't go to MCC, but I heard good things about MCC. But MCC was a side event, right? Right. Like, it formed, MCC formed because everybody was like, everybody was figuring out the idea of 
going to consensus by not going to consensus. Like I'm not fucking paying that money. I'm going to go in the lobby and I'm going to go to the side events and I'm going to meet up with people while they're in town. And like, we got consensus that everybody would come to consensus, <laughs> but we didn't get people. People were just not wanting to pay that money. It was like, let the, let the scammers pay that price. Let the, the bankers pay that price and they can create the gravity for all of us to have an excuse to come together as a community. And so that's what, MCC was is it was just a side event saying hey well if everybody's here we might as well get everybody into a conference that's actually affordable and and have some good content you know yeah I mean if you bought if you bought your consensus tickets this year at the worst possible time like a month and a half ago two months ago it probably cost like 0.7 bitcoin like 70 million satoshis or something (laughs) what a horrible horrible investment trade-off speaking of MCC what was your favorite uh, favorite talk of the weekend I didn't see all of them yet. I have to go back and watch a lot because I was also like doing meetings and networking myself. Um, but I was very happy to see how much Lightning was represented, how much we got as BitRefill with Sergey got to represent BitRefill and Lightning at that event. Um, and very, very Lightning friendly. I like that part a lot. Um, Did you go to any of the Lightning like side events that Pierre or Justin Moon held there was like a bunch i went to bit devs which wasn't really very lightningy um last night but no i didn't um i just with my schedule we had our whole schedule as a company for like three of us came and like it was already planned before we even got here and then it just got more dense after we got here (laughs) and so it was just like non-stop like i got my ass my ass is fucking kicked after this week like my 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 legs everywhere are sore like it just it was nonstop. It was intense. Well, thank you for fitting us into your schedule. Oh, I had to, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like the podcast. Uh, there's so many now. I don't keep up with every single episode of the time. But what I do is lately I, I've been flying more. And so, like, I just download a bunch and I'll just, like, catch up on whatever I can in, in those hours. Um, but you guys are definitely one of the good ones. And I, I didn't want to miss the chance to sit here. And actually, I, I'm enjoying this conversation a lot. Thank you. Um, I miss you. I miss your video content. I wish you would make more uh, more interviews. <laughs> I I do too. Um, I miss it, and I wish I would do it more. And it, it's just like hard to like. I want to do so many things. Like, I'm just like the Bitcoin addict. Like, I want to do all the things, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. You know, uh, I would love to do like at least a monthly some kind of video content or something. Um, but it's like I need. I probably need to do the things that I could probably pull off. I need somebody like yelling at me to do them to force me like a, i need a, a, a loud wheel you, you know need like a roger in your life maybe no i think i have a roger in my <laughs> life thank you very much <laughs> it, was, uh, it just popped in my head are you, are you guys doing like any educational resources at bit refill yeah we're working on a project now i mean not for bitcoin for bit refill um yeah. we're working on a project now of doing some videos to kind of do walkthroughs for a lot of the products because we sell so many things that the the user experience um, changes depending on what you buy, and sometimes like you need a little more information about what you can and can't do with a card, or you need a little more information about how to redeem it. Or we like the, and, and there are d- some cards are like for uh, a fiat amount. Some t- some cards are for like time period amounts. Some you know, and so or amounts of minutes. And so like, there's all different experiences. So we're gonna make some videos, kind of walking people through that. Yeah, huddle huddle. His, their video series is very very helpful for their platform like a big yeah. fan like I, I haven't paid that much attention to them which 
bit me in the ass yesterday because I was trolling them about like uh, having a lightning strategy. It was like two days ago they announced yeah. it, <laughs> and, and, and then and then like they were like they just like lolled at me, and I'm like, all right, what's why are they lolling at me? And I like looked at their feet, and it's like, here's what we're doing with lightning. <laughs> <laughs> now that was uh, Roman was bringing up the the mem pool today too. Who was Roman from a uh, huddle huddle? There you go. Uh, no, but the mem pool. It's like seventy thousand unconfirmed transactions right now. Yeah, but the, the fees like are reacting pretty beautifully. Like we went we we went over the stat at Bit, Bit Devs last night. I believe the the average fee over the la- or the average block size over the last couple of days has been like one point two or more megabytes. Um, and then if you look at the mempool going back to like twenty seventeen, you know, when we were going through the mania, like the the fee the fees rising today are like minuscule compared to what it was like. 2017 2018 okay but this is a little bit a little bit of fake news here like why is that like i'm pretty sure they were measuring in bitcoin and not in dollars yes and so it looked all huge and spiky in the early days because people didn't even give a fuck and they were just including random amounts of fees and because it was still only like a few cents or 50 cents or they were even willing just to put a dollar and like they, it was almost a little bit of a tipping feel to it back then because like we liked miners back then, you know. And, and so like on the chart, it looks like all this like high density, you know, high fees. Yeah, high fees. And then it, it goes off down here and it's like it looks so much better now. But like uh, $2.50 or something today or it's whatever. It's way better than 2017. It's still pretty high, you know. If you compare Satoshi's per byte, it's way better than 2017 right now. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm saying I, I do agree that things are improving. I just, I'm just like, it's a little bit of a fake newsy thing to, to measure it in Bitcoin. I don't like when people say, you know, one BTC equals one BTC. But you should have measured in USD either because it's going to scale up. No, it's not. Look, the measurement, what you're measuring is buying power. And your the the metric you use is whatever one it works the best. Like we used to use our fucking arms to measure things and our feet. Like you know they're approximate, but they were good enough. And so is the dollar. But it's buying power. It's what you can actually do with the money. But so like the way I think about it is like a lot of a lot of people are worried. I guess the biggest worry about fee spikes and and just fees going up in general is that if I have a UTXO and it's sitting there and it has. Uh, you know, 50 million Satoshis in it, or it has, you know, 25 million Satoshis. Am I, is it going to get cost prohibitive for me to spend it? And in that situation, really the Satoshi per byte matters more there because, because as long as that stays relatively constant, even if the US dollar amount increases, like that UTXO is still, mm. you know, spend not kind cost of circu- prohibitive. It's kind of circular though, I think, because it's like, if I have a dollar of Bitcoin and it costs me 50 cents, to me, that's going to be expensive. If I have a million dollars of Bitcoin and I have to spend 50 cents, it's very cheap. Um, so I get that side of it. But in the end, as a percentage or if as an increase in dollar amount, like if it was $500 to do a Bitcoin transaction, a whole lot of Bitcoin transactions seem really expensive. Um, but if you're sending $50 million, it's cheap. So it's like right. I'm just saying that UTX, that specific UTXO hasn't gotten priced out because that UTXO also goes up in U.S. dollars. Like if you're a new user and you come in, then that's one thing. But if you're just holding the UTXO there, um, the actual balance of that UTXO goes up in U.S. dollars as well as as well as the fee. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so this is getting, we're gonna just naturally drifting towards this Bitcoin at the protocol level. Just gonna be a huge settlement layer. Probably. Uh, you know, um, people like Roger Ver are scared of that. Um, they don't like the, the idea of that. I definitely think that Lightning is is 
the pa a path towards that because we might see the blocks get filled more and more with channel openings. Um, yeah, I'm sending more transactions than I, the last six months. I sent more transactions than the six years before it, just because oh, yeah. of Wasabi, coin joins and and opening channels. Yeah, and we still have block space left. Yeah. Um, I I say this a lot. Uh, I consider the blocks to always be full. Like that's how I think. Like, Why? Because they could, f if as long as the fee is is affordable, they could be full at any moment. And if the if the if the fees are ever underpriced, somebody will find a way to fill the blocks occasionally. So you always have to like be thinking as a as from a design standpoint that like the blocks are full. Like we can't count on anything that makes a different assumption. Um, That's a good assumption to work with. Yeah, I like that. Like I bet refill, we accept we accept zero conf transformation uh, confirmation uh, for payments, and it works. It works fine. Is anybody um, double spend on you guys or? We've had a double spend, but there w it was also uh, something we could have prevented. Like our setup, there was something we didn't notice about our setup that where uh, it happened, we, we would have noticed it if, it if that didn't happen. And so it actually helped us fi fix a bug. I mean, we could be double spent. I'm not saying that like we have like double spend protection. I'm just saying that like in practice, it, it, it works. And, it, and while it works, we're going to do it because uh, the customer experience of paying instantly is like worth a lot. Like it's just like the double spend thing is probably like just like a credit card chargeback for the merchant. So if it's not happening, you're just viewing it like that at this point. Maybe, but it's more like we've had it for four years and it hasn't really costed us. And I know that like sounds like, Oh, you know, put a target. On I'm going to regret me saying that someday. And well, you're like analyzing the transaction, right? It's got to be under a certain yeah, amount. We, we, we're not just certain like certain type of transaction. There, there's a standard to it. Um, and we don't share the standard because we don't want people to try. Right. Um, but it's like cumber. It's cumbersome to figure out how to double spend efficiently. And if somebody wants to, uh, work with us to, to stress test it, um, to pen test our setup, We'll be happy to. You're you like, know? how much trouble is someone to go through to double spend a fifty dollar gift well, card? Well, you buy? end up having to like find an angle around the, how the whole company works to see how you can fully exploit it in the fastest way possible, you know. And that behavior itself is like noticeable. So right. it's how fast can you really get, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh, no, it's crazy. The uh, these sort of operational risk you guys have to think about uh yeah. in all areas and the bitcoin sort of provides this unique uh ux flow that that nobody has had nobody's built mental models around until mm. the last decade well and, and you have to you have to keep in mind that like we only have to have a float of accepted z zero conf transformation it's not like i'm saying all our bitcoin is held in zero confirmation you know situation it's that there, there's a flow of the uh, the the frequency of, of customers we're getting that are spending Bitcoin, and there's a certain amount of Bitcoin at any given moment that is in a zero conf state, and that amount is reasonable. You know what I mean? It's like if somebody zero comped us, uh, double spent us for everything that we they could possibly within that time frame, it we would be fine. You know, so like it's you have to really find a severe kind of exploit to get through this and cause real damage. If it became a nuisance to us, then we would eventually stop. We hope Lightning will be there to catch when zero conf is no longer useful. Yeah. Are, are, should we be concerned about the fact that to use Lightning, you have to use it with a hot wallet? Does that hurt 
Bitcoin security from like an end user point of view? Because we've always said you got to do cold storage, cold storage, cold storage. Well, okay, but like, just on chain is for cold storage. Light, uh, Lightning isn't; it's just for usage. Like you're using it because it's high frequency. Like you don't really need to be. Yeah, there might be use cases with like tech that gets made or or products that people might want to be on Lightning just because. Uh, like the instantaneousness is one reason. Like that's something that Bitcoin can't do other than zero conf. <laughs> uh, but like it, it, the instantaneousness is a feature. Um, so there might be people that want to be on Lightning just for that feature. But generally, you're doing high frequency, so you're actually using your Bitcoin. So you're not cold storing it. You know what I mean? So you're already in a situation where you're like constantly accessing your Bitcoin. Yeah, and this drives right. this drives like going back to like the mental f- frameworks that haven't been developed like yet, and the sort of uh, interactions users have with bitcoin and more importantly money like bitcoin's a new form of money you're gonna have to figure out new ways to interact with that yes on your uh, your utxos on the at the protocol level you should probably have in cold storage and then you know, move like savings checkings account thing yeah i mean like uh, i mean don't don't uh over overstate it like i bet both of you have had some amount of bitcoin in your mobile wallets that is just like totally like you would lose it like yeah i do right now yeah so it's but like i have more <laughs> I, I, you know? I have more in our lightning oh you're so right? reckless you know like <laughs> like people fucking do it they think okay i got a few hundred dollars at most in my in my phone maybe twenty dollars maybe fifty dollars whatever it is each person has an amount that's a threshold of money that they would keep in their wallet that they know could be stolen or lost like, and that's how we should treat lightning i don't know if it's how we should treat it i think it's more secure than that um like it depends on what like the specific setup you mean is like this a question like this came up on the panel the lightning panel at consensus the other day and it was like oh about it being like a hot wallet situation and like i'm thinking about bitrefill and i'm thinking well it's like we make our node known and 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 so you know where our node is and and there's access there but you have to remember like these are all multi-sig transactions that like somebody on the other side has the ability to close the channel and take the money and like so like robbing a lightning node is like not as simple as it sounds like you know like the there the other people have the keys and so the, the you have a certain amount of bitcoin that you've staked but it's like in a fucked up state it's not like it's literally locked in it's not like it's just staking it it's yeah it seems like the best attack vector to steal somebody's uh, satoshis on the lightning network would be like a, a dummy invoice or something like that yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought about ways to like. I thought about this before Lightning was getting used, like whether there are ways that people would get end up getting scammed because of people creating fake Lightning situations. And you can see that there's some possibility here. With like, for example, with Blue Wallet being custodial, um, there's there's some scams they could pull off, make everybody think they have Bitcoin and then just disappear. So, um, like, my bigger issue is like, I guess like for routing nodes, right now. I mean, the the best practice that everyone's saying is, and I I mean I agree with it, is that personal nodes everyone should be running through tor um don't broadcast your ip yada 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 but with the routing nodes a lot of them we seem to be seeing them you know in data centers like in servers on clearnet like broadcasting their ip clearly in the data center they have a bunch of bitcoin on that node um like ellen big for instance they have like 30 of the top 50 nodes and they're all they're pretty much all in the same data center in virginia um do you have that's L- like a massive honeypot, right? Like all it takes is like one person. Like that's not even, we're not even talking about the, anything to do with the specifics of lightning. Like if someone in that data center realizes that 
they have physical access to the servers like that could be a, a major issue right i mean for them. this is getting a little into our maybe i may be talking above my understanding but i feel like you're missing that uh the the bitcoin in that node is not all like in that node and can or nor can it all be stolen from that node right like like, like if you have static channel backups could you just spin up a new node on yourself and recover it that way right would yeah, you, I mean, you wouldn't get your channels, but you would get your Bitcoin. Like, back. if somebody yeah. hacked into our our Lightning node, I'm pretty sure what they could do is they could only they could only close channels, right? And then if they had control over whatever wallet was our channels or the balances on our side, they could steal that Bitcoin. Right, that's what I mean. Um, yeah, but it, like a lot of times, it's it if it's a if it's a well balanced node, it's like fifty percent of the capacity is on the node. But I think that as things evolve, um, what we'll see is like we already have, I think at least I think it's three. Maybe it's four now, but we have three nodes. Um, And so we are already having to scale for various reasons, like to be able to have one go down while the others be up and and things like this. And to have one that has compatibility with Thor. um, So we have multiple implementations we're using, not just one implementation. So like there's already aspects of we're running this as a business in in a high amount of Bitcoin environment, um, we're already having to break it apart into pieces. And so now you have, to, you have like less value in each node. Um, right. and so, and now we maybe we'll have to set up nodes that where there's high value that like aren't identifiable to us. Right. And if you can't identify them, then how are you going to hack them? You know? Yeah. I guess like the thought process I'm going down is, I mean, I think you probably remember like the early exchange days, the early Bitcoin exchange days, like a common, the, the common fuck up was that their keys were were on some data center somewhere and that's mm. how they got hacked some employee of the yeah so i feel like we're about to we're about to experience that again for a little bit while people learn you know don't don't necessarily uh now i think about it, you could actually grief the company hard as fuck because you could uh submit old states for all the channels and and lose the and get the penalty on all the channels, so you could make the <laughs> you can hurt you hurt can the you can make them lose all the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be a good little grief. Now this is uh you mentioned Ellen Big. Do you have any good Ellen Big theories? What what uh what's going on with these Ellen Big nodes? I don't know. Uh, I don't worry about it. I don't think it's dangerous. Um, I just you know if they want to play on Lightning, like this is how the protocol is. It allows them to do whatever they want to do. They're doing it. They give away channels. They have all kinds of money, all kinds of Bitcoin in there. I know they have a lot of Bitcoin. Um, they're not scared to put it in there. So I think that at some point they're helpful because they're taking the risks and then stress testing the software. And um, they probably have a lot more incentive to feel safe than most people because of how much Bitcoin they have. You're, you're, you're sitting across from a man who, who's worried that, that Ellen Big made. No, I'm a little bit less worried. I had some good conversations yesterday. Did you? Why, I, why I, you? I don't think about them too much is really all it is. Well, part of the reason why we spun up our node was because I felt like as a good Bitcoin citizen, like we couldn't complain about someone else using it in a certain way if we weren't also um, you know, yeah. routing payments. Uh, and recently... But what don't you like? What's Recently, they imp- what's a, what were they doing that you don't like? They implemented the Thor, which was like a Thor similar service to you, which I thought was interesting. Uh-huh. Um, my my issue was, it just didn't really. Well, what's that quote like? Don't attribute uh, malice, malice to stupidity. Yeah, it like didn't really logic out to me to make sense. Like I understand the idea of of uh, of splitting up your nodes to reduce um, attack vectors. But like if you put them all in the same data center in Virginia, like you're not really 
reducing attack vector there at all. Maybe and they're just, just trying to figure out how to scale lightning, like how how to do it at scale or something. You yeah, know? now like, I believe that it's like some dark dark net type whale, whatever OG yeah, whale, yeah. who you know no one really knows, like lives in like a Russian block country and uh, just wants just wants to see Bitcoin improve, and maybe there's some mixing element to it. Yeah. Where he's trying to mix all these funds and it's possible. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, the, the other weird thing is like, why name them all the same? Like, if it's kind of similar. <laughs> well, no, it's kind of similar to like what an attack I think would look like if they weren't all named the same. Like, you would try and control like thirty of the top fifty routing nodes and different and, names. And, yeah. yeah. So the fact that they're named the same, I, I think, leads me to believe that he's that the actor isn't malicious. Yeah. Well, the malice thing I think comes from another like thing about humans is like when there's a void of information, we are compelled to fill it. And so this is why there's so many conspiracy theories in Bitcoin. It's like because Bitcoin is so good at being Bitcoin, like there's a lot of shit we can't really figure out what people are doing. And so but we always need that narrative. We always need to fill that void with some kind of guess. Do you um, see the new Satoshi conspiracy? Oh, are we jumping into this? This is the best one yet. I don't think so. Phil Leroy. Phil Leroy. Have you heard of him? No. He was like this badass, uh, like cartel type. He was right? a dark web guy, right? Wasn't oh, I think or, I saw this. And they think, think he created TrueCrypt, and then he got arrested around the same time that Satoshi disappeared. Yeah. And the conspiracy goes that Craig worked at his company and like whistle blew to huh. get him into jail, and then took the TrueCrypt volumes, but he can't access the TrueCrypt volumes. I heard a good theory that I liked recently. A new one. I don't know if it's new, but it's new to me. Uh, that what happened was that Satoshi died back when he gave Gavin the the torch. <laughs> um, but like that he died and that Gavin and Craig are like one of maybe the only people that know. And they're trying to use this information in a way somehow to make money off of it. And like it would make a lot of sense if you think about like how Craig is behaving. Like he's he's like, I'm just going to say I'm Satoshi because even if I can't prove it, nobody can prove that I'm not because the guy's fucking dead. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and maybe that's why Gavin was willing to like vouch for him because he knew that, that nobody would ever prove that for sure that it wasn't Satoshi, you know, like they had this information, they were trying to find a way to get something out of it and they, they failed. Um, I, the Gavin saga is so weird. Like, going to the cia uh like wanting to be the figurehead like thinking he was the 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 lead yeah. maintainer and of a decentralized project like it's i wonder it, it leads like again you said like we try to fill the void with conspiracy theories my mind automatically goes to like state actors trying to embed themselves in, in bitcoin i i say this about like all the tether fud i'm like what if it's like fucking the American government using Tether, like to buy a bunch of Bitcoin in a way that like disassociates themselves from it? You know, like it's a lot of money. It's it's somebody important. It could it's be not that. Like it could be that, or they <laughs> created Tether just to set the precedent of shutting it down and making it so the KYC stable coins are the only ones that can be used. Yeah, but Tether is actually has has traction and people are actually using it. So yeah, the Feds definitely didn't create Tether. I know, I know. They might have created Bitcoin, but they didn't. Create Tether. <laughs> yeah. no, Phil Potter created Tether, as far as I know, the guy from Bitfinex. So. Yeah, and he left. He that dude left at the perfect time. I don't know. If, uh, did he? Yeah, he left Bitfinex like a, like year, a year ago or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's uh, he's got free in this whole this whole saga, I believe. He was New York based for a while, which is pretty scary to be like a New York based Bitfinex employee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was on a good panel at magical, magical crypto. Well, uh, what panel? Uh, it was a panel of exchanges. Um, it was, uh, 
Phil, like f- formerly Bitfinex, was why he was there, and it was uh, Austin from Kraken, and there was a, a guy from the new uh, the BTSE exchange, um, and Miha from Bitstamp, and Josh Olwitz, Copy uh, Noctum, was asking a whole bunch of questions like about, you know about stable coins about you know stuff like that and it was good answers it was interesting yeah no. um i watched a few the jack Mahler's uh speech was great i actually interviewed him the day before so i got like a, a preview of that and then alex gladstein i thought his presentation was like incredible normie food like just to send people to get like uh like to send i sent it to my mother-in-law my sister-in-law and my parents like watch this and you'll, you may have a better understanding why bitcoin's important yeah. It's um yeah, so if you freaks have not seen that video yet, watch it and then send it to your friends and family who who are skeptical about Bitcoin. Yeah, I love the the live streams in general for MCC were great. Yeah. That's another thing about conferences. I feel almost like a mooch, especially here in New York. Like I didn't pay for any of the conferences. I just streamed MCC and like met people outside and I hung out in the lobby at Consensus yesterday like to meet people. Yeah. Way to do it. I think the conference ends up making more money if they have good live streams. It's just good. It's good publicity for the event. Yeah. If if it's a good event, if it's a good event, it'll be. And if it's an annual event, if it's a good event. The live streams just boost boost revenue. I would say. Yeah, and MCC did a good job of like, of having. I'm sure they're giving some people some FOMO. Like, you know, they gave away all these like toys and all these like souvenirs and they had a fucking bull in the house and like you had to kind of be there you know they had a fucking bull <laughs> yeah oh, i'm surprised I they didn't get any like animal rights people they did there was a lot of people on twitter freaking okay. out really yeah the yelling at bitcoin sign guy for getting on top of it was it was but bitcoin sign guy didn't bring the bull right i don't know nah, somebody said so. he did bring that was it. the rumor that was yeah. the rumor, Crypto graffiti said him and uh bitcoin sign i think that might have been tongue-in-cheek but yeah i don't think he actually brought it <laughs> but maybe that was uh, a funniest picture of the MCC was uh, Charlie Lee holding a shit coin next to the toilet and his face looked dejected like because he is the shit coin king. <laughs> yeah, fucking uh, uh, Tuan from the block had like one of his best tweets ever. It was like <laughs> that, that feeling when you're posing with a, a bowl of shit coins and you know you sold the top on your own. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, yeah. That's the other thing. Like, a lot of people in the early days who did some fucked up shit are, are sort of going under the radar and getting through unscathed, it seems. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'll go so far to say that, like, Charlie Lee did fucked up shit. Um, I would say it's not a Charlie Lee as much as it is on Coinbase. Like, the, the moral hazard of allowing the coin that your CTO started to be the first coin after Bitcoin on your exchange is a little odd to me. Was it the first one? I mean, it took him a long time. No, it was time. after Ethereum. After Ethereum. Was the third. Yeah, yeah, it was and, after And the annoying part was like, like the run-up, he was like really crazy on Twitter. Like, Litecoin was trading on like $2 and he was like sending out polls. He's like, what price is Litecoin going to be when it gets added to Coinbase, this, that, and just kept like building the FOMO. I'm sure he has some regrets about the way he, he said things, but I don't know that he was never, he ever meant to hurt anybody. Um, if we actually bottomed, he called it he called it perfectly because he said at the top he was like if you're not ready for it to go down to twenty dollars like you should sell now and it went it bottomed at twenty two dollars yeah which is like a fucking ridiculous call like, that holds <laughs> that's like a fucking ridiculous call and then the other thing i will always be grateful for him putting a million dollars in the, the light, litecoin segwit address i mean I wouldn't even have the balls to hold a million dollars on litecoin in the first place and then he put it on a segwit address during all that fud so that yeah, was pretty yeah. fucking huge I'm not sure if that actually helped anything, but it was a nice, I guess, 
stunt. It was a super um, easy argument point, you know, like, oh, if, if Segwit Fudge real, then, you know, fucking my, steal yeah. Charlie's coins. Like, I know my biggest realization that Segwit Fudge was bullshit was that I've been holding my coins and Segwit addresses for, you know, over a year now. Mm-hmm. And no one's taken them, so. Yeah, I mean, the best anti-FUD is just going and learning how Segwit actually works and realizing that it's not, like, what they're saying is stupid, you know? Yeah. It just f- fixes the mailability issue just changes the way that you crush the bits. That's basically the, it obviously separates the witness from the signature, but that's the crux of it is just changing. Well, I, the I believe the fight was that like it removes the signatures. So it's like, you anyone know, can spend. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, it was well-branded fun. Anyone can spend does not sound good. I mean, those guys are good at figuring out like angles to, to FUD, you know? And I think what I, I shouldn't even say it. Fuck. <laughs> well, that's like, what I was ever just going to get into. What's going to be like the big FUD going forward? Well, I don't know. That, but what I'm going to say is I think what they what they need to do to be good at FUD is they have to design the FUD that makes us waste the most time, um, which means like debating with us and getting us to talk about things and getting us to take things seriously. Like the reorg thing is a good attack on Bitcoin on a social level. It gets everybody wasting their time talking about that when they could be like earning money and doing something productive. But I think like, a lot of new people learn because of it, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think what they really were killing us with was the memes for a while, but I feel like Bitcoin meme game has really gotten a lot stronger. Yeah, the Bitcoin meme game is is on point for sure. Um, now, Bcashers, like, when they try to meme, it just looks, like, embarrassing. It's, like, bitter. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the fun around say what's hilarious. Like, yeah, like the uh, certain sects on crypto Twitter that, uh, think that one day, like, uh, anything in a Beck 32 address or on the lightning network is just going to get stolen from out from under them. Like that's like, yeah. that's their fun. And there's like, that's how they explain it. That's it. It's just like, this is going to happen if you do this. I woke, all right. Explain how. And they can't, I woke up one morning, like eight months ago or whatever, seven months ago. And like Bryce Wiener was like telling everyone that, that I, any segwit, any segwit address wasn't safe. Freaks. Yeah, and they were going to prove it when then on this date. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just like FUD. Uh, I'm not using my mic. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just fun. It never happened. Um, they're a bunch of assholes, whatever. Yeah, Bryce Weiner in particular. Freaks, if uh, if you're new to the space and Bryce Weiner hops up on Twitter, just ignore him. He's, he's been a serial yeah. scammer. That for dude is like seriously useless. Yeah. He's like one of the original shitcoin dons. He gave a speech that said shitcoins are going to change the world <laughs> at one point. Yeah, um, yeah well, I, guess, I guess they did maybe. <laughs> we're an hour and a half in here. You've got a flight in a little bit. What uh, what else should we riff on here? Wrap on. This has been a great conversation. Thank you again yeah, for coming. Thank you. In. That. It's enjoyable. Um, uh, hmm. what trying to say. So, bit refill. Like what? Uh, you were talking about Lightning Network enabling new use cases, and it doesn't have to be bit refill specific. But what use cases do you think people are not paying attention to or aren't even aware of yet that that are going to come to the fore? Um. Maybe touch on this a bit earlier, but uh, I like to think about the the temporary trust thing, where we can rever- leverage the fact that we're a centralized entity um, without having to have custody necessarily, but and only be at most a nuisance to the customer. And so you can create cool little like s- non-custodial situations where you can help them do things with Lightning. And I have examples, but I can't really say them yet because we're actually going to do them, and <laughs> and some of, and some of them ha- are gonna you're gonna see are gonna be fun. Like, 
but there there are things you can do that aren't just adding features to the protocol. Like there's other things you can do. Um, but yeah, uh, streaming payments could be cool. Um, I'm not interested in micropayments, but I am interested in streaming payments because it allows a flow of money. Um, some examples would be like, I've said this before, uh, you could do like charge for video streaming and have paid streaming and still have a central entity in the middle providing the, the content, uh, facilitating the content from the content creator, like a YouTube, but never actually have custody. Like you could have the person paying you by the minute or the second or whatever, and then YouTube taking their cut and then you getting your money immediately. And there's no, there's no withdrawal process. There's no deposit process. You know, it's just, you open a channel to the right place and this is what happens in that channel. And you agree to that before you enter the channel. Um, stuff like that is possible. Maybe streaming uh, payments for getting paid, like, uh, paid by like the a minute. time clock, you know, you could say, okay, I'm gonna, um, I want to, I'm clocking in and you're immediately getting paid. Like you just, the money is streaming at you. Like, and that's it. Like, there's no more waiting for your paycheck or, you know. Could you like, imagine that? <laughs> Not having to wait for the first and the 15th. That'd be pretty, that'd be pretty crazy getting paid by the minute. Yeah. That, that, think about the, like in a good way, I'd be fine with it. But I, I mean, but we've accomplished this before. It's just that people don't really realize like that you can, that lightning, the instantaneousness like opens up interesting little things. Like, uh, people do this with like phone sex so, you know they pay by the minute right and it yeah. gets charged to their phone bill or whatever and and or g- buying ringtones with your your cell phone account like people figure out weird little hacks like this because the people use them and spend money this way i know? haven't bought a ringtone in quite a while yeah yeah what was my worst ringtone i think my worst ringtone was rod stewart if you think i'm sexy that was my <laughs> ringtone at one point <laughs> um one thing I want to touch on before we leave here is before Matt got here, we were we were rapping on you live in Romania now, you grew up in the States and uh I think you have a very interesting perspective as an American living abroad and uh experiencing a new culture and looking back on ours. So what's like life like in Romania and how does it compare uh to the culture here in America? I mean honestly like all my life I've always felt a bit alien in the US. Why is like, that? I don't know why. Um, I'm starting to have some theories now that I've been in, in Europe for a while. And I think what it might be is partially that uh, my heritage is Portuguese. My father was born in, the, in uh, the Azores, which are Portuguese islands. And so was my mother's father. And the city where I grew up, there's a lot of Portuguese culture. And I think that maybe I, I grew up with a little bit of a European culture in the U.S. And so like, think there were just some behaviors that... Uh, you know, I just always felt like I was a little bit outside and it might just be me and my own personality and whatever. But, uh, towards the time right before I went to Romania, right around then was like the Trump election. Um, and I just like got this increasing feeling that like everybody in the U S is just fucking crazy. Like <laughs> why is everybody worried about all this dumb shit? Why is everybody arguing about shit that doesn't matter? Why does everybody care so much about, materialistic things and like i just got this kind of like you know fall of rome vibe where like everybody was just turning into like the most perverse you know uh america problems kind of situation and i was just like i just don't even like want to be here anymore um i'm I, i had business partners in romania i'm gonna go visit them and then once i got there i just wanted to stay and after having been there a while it's like 
it's much more down to earth. It's much more practical. Like people care about things that make sense that they care about. And it's not like totally different. You know, there's still a, there's still a modern society and uh, have all the things that you would expect them to have clubs and, you know, people get drunk and people have nice cars and, you know, it's like they have things, but it's like just way toned down, like on, on the perverse side, what I would call the perverse side of, in America. Yeah, America's turned into like a clout chasing uh, society. It's all about Instagram. I don't know all if it's vanity or what it is, but it's just like I I think it's just that, like they have too much time on their hands. They have I don't know like why don't people care about ma- being productive and making the most of their life and being happy and uh, being happy is like, like again it's a, again this sort of ropes back to why I'm in Bitcoin. I think. A sound money system could provide a better allocation of resources, which would lead to better increased happiness and stuff like that. And we talked a lot about on this podcast about uh, the the economic KPIs sort of being off kilter, where we're just fine tuning for growth and inflation, where nobody's even looking at stats like happiness and quality of life, which yeah. have been depreciating for decades and in this country in particular. And very sensitive. The Americans are very sensitive about a lot of the things, like just words, like. I don't know, like, I use abrasive wording a lot. I use candor a lot. But I'm never trying to make somebody, like, f- like feel like uh, like they're an idiot or whatever. Like, I get, maybe I do a little bit as... But it's a style. It's not like I... It's not personal. It's not... I'm, I'm doing this because I want to show conviction, not because I want you to feel like shit, you know? <laughs> no, the victim mentality is pervasive, too. And it's, 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 it's weird. It's weird time to live in this country because things are being so polarized so politicized and again it's like we i believe that everybody's missing the mark like the framing of all the debates of what's going to make a better future are completely off kilter like you're you're swiping at branches when you're not getting to the root of the problems yeah yeah you can start we can start getting really philosophical and talk about like markets and i think in the end even maybe even markets make things a lot of things inevitable and you know, and sometimes all this kicking and screaming is just a waste of time because what's going to be the most effective and efficient is going to rise to the top, and that's just going to be the way the current state of reality is. You know. Yeah, no, I'd agree. You got any thoughts on that, Matt? I was just, I was just thinking back to your Bitcoin is inevitable. I like go back and forth, like that. It's like Bitcoin doesn't need us to do the podcast or anything, but like the individuals benefit from it right yeah but well, bitcoin is fine i think the question maybe should change to and thinking out loud saying this i think if we if you think bitcoin is inevitable inevitable then the only thing you can do to help it is make it happen faster yes um, i like that you framing. Know? Yeah, so start stacking sats freaks that's how we make this happen faster. you don't have to worry about people attacking bitcoin or protecting bitcoin you have to worry about protecting people so they can make bitcoin happen faster like right that's what i mean <sighs> no i think that's why we're sitting here doing this, and that's that's one thing about the shit coiners that pisses me off too. It's like when uh, like st- like I started my newsletter and actually tried to nudge myself in the bar stool the, here to help uh, to help people like miss the shit coinery that that people naturally fall into. And I talked to a couple of people who are like really deep in Ethereum and stuff like that, and like, oh, you shouldn't be trying to protect people. Like, let them make their mistakes. And it's like, ah. But I want to like is I think it's it's noble. It's it's something we should be doing. I also enjoy like the told you so afterwards. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would we do anything at all if we didn't have egos? Like, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, 
It's just trying to keep that ego in check, right? And, and staying humble. Staying humble, exactly. <laughs> I don't. I don't keep repeating it because, uh, I'm. I guess I'm not projecting. I actually need the reminder myself to stay humble. <laughs> Self actualization. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, this has been great. John, do you have anything uh, you want to end this on? No, nah, we should stop because it's been good. And if we keep talking, we're going to make it boring. So, yeah. <laughs> But uh parting note for the freaks, uh, anything you want to announce about what you're working on? Bit Refill, where can we find you? Um, you can find me as Bitcoin Aerolog on Twitter as well as Telegram. Um, we're probably going to be having a Telegram set up for Bit Refill soon as well and try to tap into that a little bit. But bitrefill.com, we sell gift cards, we sell mobile top-ups, and we're getting very involved in being basically like a lightning service provider um, and making products in that area. I think you should keep an eye on us because we have a lot planned, um, and it's going to start accelerating, uh, and we're going to, in some cases, have a little fun with it, and we're going to try to keep it Bitcoin, and we're going to try to, I'm going to try to do my best to have BitRefill be a medium for Bitcoin to succeed, you know, to make a circular economy, to help everybody live on crypto and keep an eye on us. Cause like we're going to fuck shit up. I, uh, I don't doubt that at all. And thank you again for joining us. And thank you for all you've done, helping me learn about Bitcoin throughout the years. Thank you. You were, you were that voice that helped me uh, find one of those voices that helped me find sanity in this, this weird space that we're in. Yeah. Thank you very much, John. Thanks. Um, you got anything to say? Stay humble. Stack sets. Peace and love, freaks. Bacare!